0: And now we hear from the prophet Isaiah the context of the verse that Kenna read to us. A reading from the prophet, chapter 35, beginning with verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy and streams in the desert. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty grounds springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lions shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The Word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 2. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look. Those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now you may be seated. The prophet Isaiah is writing to a rebellious people. Y'all know any rebellious people? That he fears are in serious threat of judgment. They're in a wilderness of sorts, having turned away from God. The people have abandoned fidelity to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've surrendered their hopes for a kingdom without end, ruled by a descendant of David. And even the descendants of David no longer trusted the promises of God. They had begun to fall prey to fear and sought to secure themselves through alliances with foreign unbelieving powers the people have found themselves to be dry and without fruit. And so Isaiah calls them to their senses. To remember why God asks of them to no longer be satisfied with making sacrifices, but to live faithfully. The book recounts the promises of God to people who will be faithful and promises a time when Israel will be renewed. If they turn to disobedience, they will eat the good of the land. If they continue to rebel, they will be eaten by the sword, he says. For then this was a wilderness time of uncertainty, to say the least. It was a time, he said, of sorrow and sighing. Isaiah is a prophet. He is charged with regurgitating whatever message God places in his mouth. His job was not to tell the future, but to account for the possibilities and remind the people of God's promises, not as a coercive threat, but for hope. And the hope was the calling of the people back into faithful covenant with the Holy One of Israel. In the portion of the book that we read from a short while ago, the prophet is holding forth the hope of a return to the blessing of Zion. They shall walk a highway, he says, called the holy way. A way for God's people. A holy way. A set-apart way. I don't know for certain that this is specifically related to Jesus' use of the word way in the Gospel according to John in 14.6. But this passage brought Jesus' words to mind for me. I bet you've heard them before. They come right after Jesus tells His disciples that He was going to prepare a place for them. He said, And you know the way to the place that I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Too often, I think, Christians have taken that as a signal to sit and wait, to look forward to the promises of going to the place that Jesus prepares, to look forward to the promises of heaven, as if somehow Jesus' mention of Himself as the way of life, the truth of life, and the source of life has no bearing on our lives now but that we should just sit on the sidelines and wait. And I wonder, do you think that Jesus being the way is an invitation to be sedentary with no thought of how our hope for the kingdom of God should influence the way we live? Did He not tell us to be about the work of teaching others to follow His way of love, joy, peace, and hope, to be disciples? Do you think that Jesus telling us that He is the truth should have any influence on our expectations and our experience of reality? Do you think that Jesus being the life coming to us should give us no reason to struggle against the terrors of deceit, injustice, and death? We live in a time that has often been referred to as the now and the not yet. These words are in reference to the coming of God, to the reign of Christ. The now and the not yet is an in-between time. We believe that the kingdom of God has come in our Lord Jesus Christ and that He is the one who will sit on David's throne forever. The kingdom has come in Him. He is our Lord, our King. The one whose reign we submitted to when we were baptized. The ruler that we look to in faith. The kingdom has come in His presence and coming. But yet He instructs us to pray to our Father in heaven, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just the instruction to pray these words should be a sign to us that there is more of the kingdom to come. That the kingdom has come but is not yet fully come. The kingdom is now comprised of every person who calls Christ Lord and lives in submission to His reign over their lives. And the kingdom is not yet because not everybody has bent the knee to Jesus. Kingdom is not yet, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But apparently, dear ones, that is not this week. The renewal of all things is not yet complete. We live in a tension. There is a tension to our daily life. We hope for the renewal of all things, yet we continue to see evil and death in the world. We live in an earnest tension, the same tension that was in the mind of John the Baptist when he sent his disciples to encourage Jesus to get on with the program. His thought was obviously wandered into doubt about even the witness to Jesus' promise that he himself spoke when he said, here is one greater than I. So he sends his followers to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we wait for someone else? Behind this is John's imprisonment and his likely knowledge that Isaiah had promised that when the Messiah comes, the captives would be set free. But yet he remains in prison. John is searching for an affirmation that what we read in Isaiah and the words of Isaiah 33 verse 22 are being fulfilled. Isaiah wrote there, the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our ruler. The Lord is our king. He will save us. For some modern Christians, that promise has come to be all about escaping from this world to leave creation behind. It's come to be synonymous with whatever happens when we die and not congruent with our Scripture's teaching that we can be delivered from sin in this life. That we can expect to see glimpses of the just kingdom and the rule of Christ now. And Isaiah gives the greater hope, writing, "...the desert rejoices and blooms." That's not just about a piece of ground, dear ones. That's about our hearts. The desert rejoices and blooms. The people see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God. The ransom return with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, and sorrow and sighing flee away. Listen, I too hope for heaven at death. But I also hope for more, for transformation in this world now. To one day find that there is no darkness in my heart. I long for the resurrection and the new creation to come. But we are in the now. Christ has come by His death and resurrection We have the promise that even though we die, yet shall we live. But we are also in the not yet, we still see death all around us. Christ will come again and the fullness of the kingdom of God will come with Him. But here now we are in the time where Jesus said the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world. And yet because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, even the faithful dear ones. Those who are in Christ and have faith in Christ live in faithfulness to the King, awaiting the transformation of all things, including their own heart. And yet sorrow and sighing seem to show no sign of fleeing away from us. We live in the time that Peter warned would bring scoffers out of the woodwork People who laugh at us and call us delusional dreamers as they point to the fact that the world continues to fall apart even as we proclaim that the kingdom of God has come. And perhaps if we lose sight of Christ and the hope that lives within us, we too might ask Jesus, Hey, are you the one to come or should we move on? What are the signs of new creation? What are the signs of a holy way? What are the signs of the kingdom of love, joy, and peace? When will the redeemed walk through a world untroubled by sin and death? Jesus' response to John's question was to send word of what he was doing. Things that fulfilled other promises of the prophets... Signs to John that in Jesus the, truly, the kingdom truly has come and is coming. And so he tells them, go, tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone, he says, who takes no offense at me especially those who are willing to continue to wait. But probably to John's disappointment, Jesus didn't tell him, I'll be there in a minute to open the door of his prison cell. So what signs are available for us? Amidst all the sorrow and sighing that surrounds us, what glimpses of God's kingdom and the reign of Christ are available to us? I was pondering that question this week, trying to give some ingenious, leave no room for doubt sort of answer that gets your sermon published in The Advocate or something like that. And while I was thinking about that, Kelly Gottheimer walked these pages into me. Because of a discussion we had had earlier about a little girl called Athena Strand who was killed by a FedEx driver. I had said that if no one else would do it, I would be willing to put a bullet in him. Just being honest. And then she came walking in with this because she said she would fire the second one. And we lamented that our hearts could feel that way. And she walked in and handed this to me and if you can bear with it, I want you to hear this. This is from a Facebook post by that child's grandfather. He writes, I can't quiet my mind and I have to share this. A friend just asked me the other day if I believe God speaks to people and I happen to know He does as He is speaking to me now. This flesh, this man that I am is angry. And I want five minutes in a cell with the psycho that took our Athena away from us. But there's a soft, gentle voice in the back of my head telling me I need to forgive him. This flesh man wants that psycho to burn in hell for all eternity. Yet that gentle voice continues to tell me I need to forgive him. This flesh man hopes he remains blind and deaf to the message of salvation and never sets foot in the same heaven that I know in my heart my darling Athena resides in now. And yet that gentle voice persists. Why, you ask? Because hate is a powerful force that will take root in your soul. God wants to protect us from all that hate. Hate is the gateway for the evil we see growing in the world today. If you stood that man before me right now because of the hate that's trying to root itself in my mind, I would probably kill him. Then that hate would root itself in my heart and I would be destroyed. That gentle voice is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to me right now. He's reminding me that my Savior Jesus willingly laid himself on a cross and died in my place to reconcile me to God the Father. But he also did that for all of us, even this man that my flesh so hates at this very moment. I am a sinful man. Yet I've heard this voice before and I miss hearing this voice. If I allow this hate to consume me, that voice will fade and eventually be silenced. Then that ugly spirit of hate will have succeeded. And that's why this gentle voice persists to tell me that I need to forgive this man. It's for my protection and my peace. It's to set me free from this hate and allow me to continue to hear God's gentle voice. There's not one ounce of my flesh that wants to do this or say this, but my spirit has heard God's voice. And right now, while tears flood my eyes, I declare publicly that I forgive this man. Hate will not win. I hope my family will understand that I don't do this for the sake of this man. I do this for the sake of my family and myself and to honor the voice of God who has given me the strength to say this. I do this to honor our precious Athena who knew no hate. This man won't be allowed any real estate to live in my brain. He belongs to God and God's justice will be done. Love conquers all and forgives Today I choose love and hate loses. This man chose to be true to who he is. A person submitted to the reign of Christ. A sign of the kingdom and what Christ is doing in this world. In this grandfather's words, I hear soothing, healing, and refreshing waters breaking forth into the dry and barren hurt of wilderness doubt. I hear of God strengthening his weak hands and feeble knees, strengthening the soul of a man to a degree that seems near impossible to me. I hear a reminding call be strong, do not fear. I see eyes blinded by hate and vengeance and loathing, open to the possibility of forgiveness in life. I see the burning sand become a renewing pool. All as the grandfather of a child chooses to heed the call of God on his heart and be faithful to walk the holy way of Christ, the way of mercy and of love and of peace. I see a man allow his life to be impacted by the One who is the way, the truth, and the life. A man who lives in the now and the not yet. A man surrounded by sorrow and sighing. We, dear ones, live in that same time. And those same voices of sorrow and sighing still ring in our ears. But I say to you, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Rest in the promises of God and do not give in to fear. Look to the coming of Christ. The kingdom is coming. Sorrow and sighing are passing away. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.